What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Ladies Who Bronche. I am Julissa. What's up, everybody? This is Skittles. And this week, we have Brooklyn-born dope actor, writer, comedian, Andrew. Who the fuck are you? Oh, my gosh. Who am I? Who aren't I, really, is the Mm. question. I'm everything, and uh, man, I just love everything. I love stuff. And I and I absorb so many things. I'm a sponge, really, hmm. of of culture and of art and of comedy. Man, comedy's my shit. I really yeah. love making mm. people laugh. Yeah. You know, I started making people laugh in kindergarten. I told my first joke to Miss Kennedy, my kindergarten teacher. It was an impression of a giraffe eating. It's not that good now. I was gonna say, can we hear it? No, it's not that good. It's not that good. <laughs> it was a it was a thing I did with my face, and Miss Kennedy liked it so much. She grabbed me by the wrist brought me out into the hallway and called all the other kindergarten teachers to come watch me do this thing. (laughs) And so at a certain point, in that moment, I realized I have every single kindergarten teacher in the palm of my hand laughing in the hallway at this thing that I'm doing. And about 160 children are completely (coughs) unattended because because of what I can do with my dumb face. (laughs) And the power that I absorbed in that moment, the, the things I could do with comedy... I was like, oh, I'm gonna run, I'm gonna run everything with this. That's awesome. So it started comedy, and then it built into acting. You know, I didn't think, uh, I didn't think, for a long, I, I didn't think that of that story for a really long time, the one with Miss Kennedy, uh, as the being the moment that I realized that I could do comedy. Uh, but it, it was, and then I continued to do, you know, all the theater that they did in you know my elementary school. So whenever there was a show, I was like, oh, can I do that? Yeah, I got the lead in my, I think it was my first or second grade play mm-hmm. in elementary school, and it was um, uh, Home Alone Three: Lost in the World. <laughs> right, because part part two world. part two had just come out. Right, and so it was Home Alone Two. You know, Lost in New York, and so the teachers got together and they thought they'd write this script to teach kids about the world. Right. And then, you know, of course, Home Alone 3, the actual movie came out after that. So we had the first Home Alone 3, what, what, PS10. Holiday. Yo. PS10 shout outs. <laughs> claim it. Claim your rights. The Louisa May Alcott School. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's so, a magnet school now. It's a magnet. You know, there's so many magnet schools. New York City, like, I mean, we all grew up in New York City, so we have a sense of, like, the Woo-hoo! school system. A lot has changed since we mm-hmm. were in school, I feel like, from <clears throat> schools that used to be bad, like, being able to, like, exist for a really long time, to those schools being broken down, and now mm-hmm. it's like, you'll have, like, three schools in one building. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's changed so much. So, from that moment, so mm-hmm. you got to do some of that acting stuff. What were the, your, what were some of your next steps? Man, I think I dropped, maybe I didn't completely drop like performing, but I definitely dropped acting for a hot minute. Mm. So from like elementary school, maybe all the way up until college, I really didn't do much like acting or performance, Uh, but I did do dance. Mm. And so I picked up dance in junior high school and uh, was on like the dance. uh, We had what was called talent. I went to this middle school called MS51. The... uh, William Alexander Middle School. It had this this great sort of uh, program called the Rainbow Program for like bright kids, and then it had the Ace Program for the run of the mill regular old kids. And mm-hmm. I started out in the Rainbow Program. They kicked me out because I was a badass, and uh, then I was in the Ace Program for a hot minute. And in the Ace Program, one of the what they call talents that was available, 
there was the photography, there was a drama, and then there was dance. And I saw that there were, uh, you know, the cool kids wanted to be in dance, but also a lot of the very pretty girls were in dance. And I was like, yo, I got to do that. Like, <laughs> because, like, you know, class, I was a bright kid, right? That, which is why I got into the Rainbow Program. But um, I was bored really quickly, you know? Like, I picked things up really quickly and was bored easily with school. So, um, you know, that's around the time when the hormones started kicking up. And I got my first pair of Air Jordans because my cousin Melinda got them for me. And nice. people started looking my way. And I was like, yo, what's good? <laughs> <laughs> yo, what's good? What's uh, good, everybody? What's good? And I, oh, I got my first, like, Caesar haircut. Ooh. You know, that low haircut with the, the spiky sideburns. Yes. With the sharp, square Ooh, front. Yeah. And the round the back. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Triggering. Yeah. <laughs> I had the tight Caesar. I finally found like a good barbershop. I, you know, my, cause my grandmother used to take me to a hairstylist and I used to get this pushback, gelled back, funky, weird haircut. And I looked like somebody's grandpa. And I was like, <laughs> yo, but I'm, I'm a teenager now. I need something to fly. So I found the barbershop. I started going and, uh, man, they did this thing to my mustache that I didn't have. I didn't have a mustache. I had like fuzz. Yes. And they, t- at the time they took, um, you know the the straight edge razor yes. and they pushed that fuzz down into a shape and i had like two pencil lines and i thought i was a a poppy oh man yo i thought i was a poppy oh my god yeah. wow wow so um so yeah i was really just like you know my 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 attention was on like girls and like dancing and i started going to like parties I, you know, my, my brother was incarcerated. He did like six or seven years, you know, mm-hmm. at that time. Uh, when he finally came out of jail, I was like 12 or 13 years old. And he was clearly the coolest person I'd ever seen. He went to jail. He did a long bid. He had only got, uh, I, I used to make this joke about him. He only got sentenced to like one or two years in prison. Mm-hmm. And then because of bad behavior, he ended up doing like seven. Wow. And uh, I, I, I always said that he was really bad at math. Because like yo, you couldn't calculate. You did. You were supposed to do two. You did seven. Dog, you failed math. <laughs> What's up? And so he came out. He was like, "Yo, you want a party?" And I didn't know what that meant. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I want a party. You're cool. Yeah, you, you probably like do all kinds of fun shit. Let's go." Right. <laughs> so I started smoking and drinking like real young, man. Yeah. I was I was still in junior high school when that started happening, and then wow. I was like, I really fell off like the good boy track. I started hanging out with the wrong kids and doing the wrong stuff. I got arrested. I got into trouble. I got into fist fights. Fist fights really are the important part mm-hmm. of all that. I feel like in order to be a good functioning adult human being, you need to get punched in the face once. Hmm. I've heard that before. It yeah. really does something to you. Yeah. <laughs> it humbles you in some way. Because, man, getting punched in the face was... Life changing. Life changing. <laughs> punching someone in the face is life changing, but being punched in the face is also like, oh, I'm not invincible. Mm. And there's something about like the embarrassment that comes from like being in a circle of people who are all like, yeah, fight, yeah, yeah, and and being punched in the face like that humbles the shit out of you. Word. Yeah, man. So you got punched in the face. Got punched in the face <laughs> in junior high school. A lot of shit happened in junior high school. I fell in love. Oh, I've always been a lover. I had my first girlfriend in kindergarten. Wow. Yeah, I've always, I was a lover. Um, I fell in love in junior high school many times. Um, you know, I was, you know, trying to learn every 
girl story. I was, you know, really. You were really a poppy. I was trying to. The haircut really did something. The, to you. the haircut, <laughs> the Jordans. I figured out that my rhythm was tight, so I was going to all the like the parties. Parties and dancing. And I wasn't really, you know, I'm I'm around little marshmallow now, but like then, I was fit. Mm. You know Did you what? Have the fake six pack. The- <laughs> I had a, I had a real six pack. Oh. Because I was working now as at home. Because mm. I was, because you know, I I wasn't like going out. You know, like my right. grandmother was not like, oh yeah, go hang out on you know every day. Yeah, right. we're still on lock. And so what I would do is I'd stay up late and I'd use the stuff we had in the house as gym equipment. Yeah. So I turned the sofa into like a, 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 a like I used to like lift it. As exercise. Wow. And then I used to do these upside down push-ups. Sure I, I, yeah. <laughs> I was an acrobat, not technically, but I would like do backflips off of like the the you know the 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 gym equipment. And one time I tried to do a backflip in front of all these pretty girls, and I fell on my neck. Hmm. That was tough. Damn. Wow. Well, what a, <laughs> what a journey you really were in a, a little innovator it sounds like in in many ways um so that's really cool and later we're going to talk a little bit more about brooklyn and your time in brooklyn but and- first what we want to know is what is your favorite brunch plate brunch plate so brunch you know a lot of people i don't think they do it right mm. i think brunch uh is a is an opportunity uh, to pig out on both breakfast and lunch. Mm. And so when people don't get both a breakfast item and a lunch <laughs> item in their brunch dish, I'm like, you're fucking up. Yeah, that's I real. Agree. You've done it wrong. I that's agree. real. Doing? This, the whole reason we've gotten together is to fucking mix some shit up. Right. So my favorite brunch item is chicken and waffles. Yes. Such a classic. Because waffles mm-hmm. for breakfast, chicken for lunch. What's up, though? Yes. And honestly, like, you go to some... Have you ever been to Sweet Chick in Brooklyn? Yes, I've been to Sweet Chick. I just have to ask. I live I... at Sweet Chick. In <laughs> <laughs> the food Nas here, owns that fucking restaurant. Yeah, he does. And the fucking food is just so good. They have this mm. one, like, Asian-infused, like, chicken and waffle where it's like a... I don't know. It has like a glaze. I forget. If it, I don't think it's teriyaki. There's just some glaze that's yeah. on that chicken, and it is so motherfucking. They got a sweet chick here in LA. Do they mm. really? Oh yeah, on Fairfax. Oh. Uh, Fairfax is the like the Prince Street of LA, I think. Gotcha. So it's got the Supreme Store. Mm. It's got like all the sneakerhead shit. Mm-hmm. It's got um, this place called John and Vinny's, which like. Um, the Italian restaurant that fucking Will Smith's kid goes to. What's his name? Oh, Jaden. Jaden. Yeah. Jaden goes there. He raps about it. And uh, <laughs> and of course, Sweet Chick. So when I went to Sweet Chick, uh, in walks uh, Kylie Jenner and Travis Scott. Wow. Yeah. We were just, uh, like it was maybe my f- first year here. I hadn't really seen that many famous people and right. then in, in walks like the two biggest social media stars right. they are. And I was like, huh, why? What are you doing here? <laughs> you can afford food elsewhere. Why would you come to Nas's sweet chick in LA? But fucking they came in. Because that chicken good. That chicken good. That chicken so good they serve chicken and waffles all day long. Yeah. Nice. You know yeah. What I mean? So, Andrew, with your chicken and waffles, mm. what are we going to be drinking? Wow. I Oh, okay. There was this other 
uh, like hipstery fucking spot in Brooklyn that has been shut down. That's what happens in Brooklyn, right? These like cool, because you want to hate the hipsters. And you do, and then you want to hate them, but then they come with these really cool restaurants with their funky. They really do. And you're just like, <laughs> I thought you were gonna say with their funky armpit soap. Because <laughs> well, let's be honest. <laughs> well, sure, yes, definitely some funky pits. Uh, but uh, I'm like, yo, get these fucking hipsters out of here, but leave their restaurants behind. Right. Yeah. So there was this one spot called the Brooklyn Star. It's been shut down since uh, since I went. There. I had uh, a birthday celebration there one year. Wow. Yeah. Or maybe two years in a row. I don't, I'm, maybe I'm that basic. I don't know. Um, but they had this delicious coffee drink that had like uh, uh, brandy in it mm. and coffee and um, sweet condensed milk. Ooh. Oh yeah, it was like called a oh man, like it had some funky name like a Coco Loco or something right. weird like that. Word. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So tell me, what was it like to go out to eat when you were growing up? Uh, man, growing up. So I've got several stories, right? Depends on who who I was with, right? So I grew up solely with my grandmother. My my mom was locked up, and just about everybody in my family was in jail. And there was a certain point where it was just me and my grandmother who were like living together and you know on the weekends we'd visit people in jail and bring them snacks or whatever the fuck we did and um there wasn't much time or money to really go out but when we did go out me and my grandmother would (laughs) my grandmother would take me to mcdonald's that's the one that's the one right my grandmother took me to mcdonald's like one friday a month or something like that and, um, you know, I got the, the fucking Happy Meal and I had the toy and I was like, you know, like, oh, perfect. This is this is fine dining. <laughs> McDonald's is fine dining because it comes with a toy. With yeah. a toy. Yeah. And so, what I remember, what was your favorite toy? Like, do you remember? I vividly remember they invented a character that had a moon for a head. Like a, yes. like a crescent moon. Yes. It was a character. I don't remember yes. what, but I remember he was in like a Jeep. And I remember that yep. toy. I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't know about. the name of that guy. I was going to say, I could not tell you the name to save my life. Nope. But I know exactly what yeah. you're talking mm. about. He was an ongoing character for a hot minute. Wow. And mm. I don't even, I'm going to Google it after. Like, I haven't thought about he that. He has like face. red eyes or something. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah. It's literally like, it almost, he looks almost Jay Leno-ish. Yes. Because he's like a crescent. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like he wore sunglasses, didn't he? He might have been super cool enough to wear sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. sunglasses. He's the moon. He could do whatever the fuck he, he wants. Whatever mm. he wanted. Yeah. In the t- in the Jeep. Like, in I remember the, in that, that turquoise-colored <laughs> Jeep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. And so so because uh, grandmother and me were in that situation, I did a thing where I would adopt other families. Mm-hmm. So uh, I found what I hoped for in a family, you know, sort of a, 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 a um, what are they called? Not platonic, but... Um, a nuclear I found yeah. nuclear families yeah. where there was a mom and a dad and a child or several children and I gravitated towards those people so some of my best friends in life I've been friends with now over 28 years wow. because like you know uh, they welcomed me into their home they welcomed me into their lives so you know my best friend Javier Munoz uh, he's Colombian um, I would spend like time at his house sometimes and like do whatever Colombian thing that they were doing <laughs> have dinner with them however they were my good friend uh, Odile, <coughs> same deal. We were friends from first grade all the way till now. She, I, you know, she confuses the shit out of people because she introduces me as <laughs> this fucking fly. There's a fly. In, <laughs> for anyone, there is a fly. There's a fly in the room. Anyone watching? And, we're all <laughs> and so Odile, her family is French, and they took me into their home, and they 
took me everywhere. Like mm. they adopted me. They literally called me their son. And she confuses people because she'll tell people that I'm her brother when they meet me and we look nothing alike. So they're always like, from where, bro? <laughs> <laughs> One time Odile and her family took me out to this very fancy restaurant. And the only thing I recognized on the menu, I'm, and I'm like nine, 10 years old, was pizza. So I ordered the pizza on the menu. And what comes to me doesn't look like what I think pizza should look like. <laughs> there are like pine nuts on it and vegetables. And Ooh. I'm 10 and I'm like, I don't fucking want vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> I want more cheese than I see on this plate. And so, and this is one of the things I'm really embarrassed about in my entire life. I summoned a sneeze. And I sneezed directly into the pizza. And then I looked up and I was like, mm, can't eat this pizza. Sorry, guys. It's been sneezed on. <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> I was a dick, yes. I was Yo. a total dick. I was like, so sorry, guys. I can't eat this Love pizza. That. We're at a Love very that. nice restaurant. Yeah. I don't remember where it was, but it was very nice from what I could recall. And I was like, oh, my God. I'm so sorry. I sneezed into this pizza. I can't be eaten. And Odile's mom said, the fuck out of here. She just ate the pizza like nothing. She's like, I'm paying for this. And she ate that pizza because she's a gangster <laughs> and she's from Brooklyn and that's real shit. Yo, Yo she eat. said, get the fuck out of here. Out of here. <laughs> she ate that pizza. Juliet, she's wonderful and she uh, she's she's one of those people who are like, you know, like a, a mother figure to me and was around a lot. Um, but I sneezed into that pizza and it was real embarrassing. <laughs> Yo. I have another family I adopted in the same way. Uh, Janelle and Justin, they're my technically my god brothers uh and their parents uh rafael and Jeanette, they moved into the building i lived in and they were some of the first kids who lived in that building ever like i was i was really young there were no other children and so janelle and his family moved into that building and so i as i told you guys before was always on the fire escape in my apartment building right because it looked to me like a jungle gym and my grandmother for whatever reason thought it was safer for me to be out there than to be with the neighborhood kids who on were on the street doing bad shit. Mm. Because when I was with them, I did bad shit too. <laughs> so I'm hanging out on the fire escape. Janelle's family's downstairs having a party. And I like crawl down there in you know, like a t-shirt and like, you know, my tidy whities and, and I look in the window. I did this a lot. I, did, I looked in everybody's <laughs> fucking window all the time. I was a creepy little like eight-year-old kid. And I looked in the window and their father, Rafael, he looks at me. He goes, hey, you want to come inside and play with my son? And I was like, ugh. Yes. And so I came in and I've been family ever since. Like wow. they, that is hilarious. Yeah, they've been my family ever since and they taught me how to sit at a table and have dinner and like have dinner conversation. Wow. Like just talk about like how your day's going, what's going on as opposed to the way I used to eat with my grandmother which is like I'd stick my face into a bowl of mac and cheese literally without utensils just eat with my mouth and my face in the bowl you know or like or like you know eat on eat in the bedroom watching tv or whatever but like here i was sitting at a table using a fork and knife and eating food and like talking to people and that was the first time ever so my eating experience as a kid was very different depending on who i was with yeah Mm. Yeah. that's awesome so with that what is your favorite bochinche topic to talk about when you're eating bochinche um I don't know. Like, do you have any like examples? I'd... We like to talk about sex and dick. Yeah. <laughs> Straight sex. up. Sex and dick. Straight up, sex yeah. and dick. We love sex, about and sex and dick. Sex and dick. 
But, other, you know, like, it could be some people talk about work, some people talk about... I hate talking about work. Same. Like, I hate when I, you know, I used to... I've had different jobs throughout my life, but a large portion of my adult life, I was working either as a um, admission counselor for the college I went to, Emerson College, mm. or I was working as a... Uh, college success counselor for several different nonprofits in Brooklyn where I was helping kids get into school as opposed to as an admission counselor where the majority of what you're doing is saying no to a lot of kids mm. even though like while I was uh, an admission counselor I helped raise sort of um, the diversity numbers which I was really proud of yeah that Emerson w- wasn't very diverse it's not I applied because I did apply I didn't get it I cried that was the one rejection oh, letter sorry. that made me cry see I didn't know you so I couldn't get the hookup well I wasn't there and working <laughs> yeah, yet you were working we're the same you. age so I couldn't have yeah I and have I known. like went to tour and I remember I think it was like 4% black and like 2% something else like 2% Asian yeah I think like 2% Latino or at least the year I was applying I remember being like that's really fucking scary it was bad it was bad yeah Mm. so thank you for that work like well I mean I I went there on so I went to like I said before CUNY Uh, I got my two-year associate degree at BMCC uh, Burma Manhattan Community College what up what I got into several of their like um programs um I, i'm a high school dropout so all of that is extraordinary right I, mm-hmm. I i was a sophomore for three years in a row at fdr high school it was not a good school didn't work for me i had a lot of shit going on at home my brother got shot my aunt passed away my grandma had a tumor in her head my mm-hmm. grandfather had a stroke like all this shit was going on all at the same time i'm 16 17 i started dating this girl who at the time was like way older than me i'm 17 she's like maybe 23 24 oh so i'm like that she had a kid why was she dating? No, she no shouldn't. Thing. She shouldn't. Have, she <laughs> shouldn't have been dating me. She yeah, shouldn't have been dating me. So no. she shouldn't have been dating me. But I was seeing this girl, and she tried to pull the old like, uh, I'm pregnant situation. Oh no! She tried to do that. Mm-mm. I found out she wasn't telling me the truth about that, and I dipped. Um, so I don't have any children out there. Just letting the world know. <laughs> I was. I almost got caught in one of those scenarios. And so um, so things were rough. So I had a lot of things going on at this time in my life. And so I got to school one day, and we were learning about this type of math where um, uh, they have imaginary numbers. Mm. Do you remember imaginary numbers? I do. You do. Okay. So imaginary, numbers, imaginary numbers is a sect of uh, sect. It is a, a portion of math. I think is part of pre-calculus maybe where the answer to a mathematical problem can be a number that does not exist in reality. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to school to learn about <laughs> what? shit. Yeah. So, so cause like for yes. I, at least in, in, in context of, of LaGuardia, the only reason why I remember this was because like I wanted a advanced regions diploma. Mm-hmm. So, you took pre-calc. so I took pre-calc. I and our school, our school didn't offer regular pre-calc. It was only pre-calc honors. And so it was like, that's, when I tell you I got consistent 65 <laughs> for an entire semester, it was that class. Well, 65 <laughs> is just passing, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, just passing. So I'm, I got all this real shit going on at home. My brother's in a, in a, in a bullet-induced coma. Jesus. I've got, you know, my aunt, you know, dying by surprise we had no idea you know she was sick but we didn't know she was gonna die and i go to school and motherfuckers are like oh yeah two plus two is a number that doesn't exist 
I was like, fuck this. <laughs> and I signed myself out of school. I was like, no, you're not going to have me here learning bullshit when I got real shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I went through a whole series of like going to therapy and trying to like do shit. At the time, I was working at a summer camp slash after school program as a group leader and supervisor. And I felt like that was more rewarding to me to like be a role model to these kids and come in every day and teach them what I knew about the world and, and help them in their lives because uh, high school wasn't cutting it for me. Yeah. But yeah. in general, then, so you don't about cheating shit. You don't talk about shit. Oh, my God. Was that the question that we were on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but, 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 but we know what you don't like talking about. You don't like talking about like talking about work. Well, we, right. We don't like talking about work. And so, uh, so, yeah. So I was doing this this work as a, as a you know, a counselor, uh, either admission counselor or a college counselor helping kids. And I just didn't want to talk about work. When I was like with my coworkers, like after work, and right. they would just devolve into like, oh my god, you know this kid and this case and da 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 da. I don't want to talk about that shit. And right. I think at a certain point, it made me, uh, you know, it was part of my decision to sort of like go and like commit full time to being a creative. Mm-hmm. When I couldn't escape the feeling of, please stop talking about this work that I do. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't want to talk about the work that you do all the time, then it's not work that you want to do. Right. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's just struck a note with me. I'm like, there you go. Yeah. There you go. No, wow. I think, that, I think that's really. Drop the I mic. Know. Yeah, honestly. Well, you know. All right. Let's move into our <laughs> cheers to the ladies whose section where we shout out motherfuckers who are doing dope shit. Yes. So, Netflix. Dike is coming to New York because we said fuck Amazon. Yeah. But they're coming into Brooklyn and Manhattan. So mm-hmm. they're building two facilities um, in these spaces. And um, it's going to be really dope. I think the amount, it's a $100 million like investment mm-hmm. that's being made here. Um, so in uh, 888 Broadway, that'll be the Manhattan location. They have about 100,000 square feet. And then over at Brooklyn, they're going to be at 333 Johnson Avenue in Bushwick. All these repeated numbers. Naturally. Yes, all these angel numbers. Um, And they have 161,000 square feet in Brooklyn. And it's going to be like a... You look like you have a question. Is 888 Broadway, is that near... uh, It's uptown. That's definitely uptown. Uh, I think... 888 Broadway, and this has nothing to do with like it's what's happening. It's in the happening. 50s, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's where uh, <coughs> Kaplan, uh, the Kaplan Leadership Program had their offices. That's the program. That building, had. that wow. black building. It's a giant building. Yeah. I remember one time I came out of that building, Paul McCartney was downstairs what? having lunch at some like diner. <laughs> oh yeah, the Beatles are great. And uh, no, none of the other like people I was with knew who Paul McCartney was. And I was like, come on, guys. Wow. Come on. They And they're like... This is um, gonna bring about twenty five thousand jobs. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was seven 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 Broadway. I may be wrong. But I know. But well, eight 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 Broadway is a big black building that's like near where you're about to hit like mm-hmm. Central Park, um, the beginning of Central right. Park. Anyway, anyway, new yeah. shit. Uh, but that's yeah. where the site is gonna be. Um, and I think that this is great just because. Okay, maybe sort of like on a technical level, Netflix is going to function in a corp- as a corporation in the way that Amazon was, but where the, you know, of those 25,000 uh, jobs, mm-hmm. the possibility that like not all of them are like 
the person who's just packing a box. Like, you know what I mean? And things like that. It feels like anybody who's on a set, and I don't know if you guys, you know, can sort of agree with this, being on a set, no matter sort of what role you have, is such an enriching experience to mm -hmm. be around people and get a sense of, like, how things work and, you know, opportunity to move up or gain enough, like, projects where if they wanted to move into some other position, mm -hmm. they could, as opposed to, like, yeah, I packed boxes at Amazon for X amount of years. Hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I do look at it as, because I'm sure there are going to be some people who aren't with this, like, as us New Yorkers are. We don't really want any big company coming in. Right. But I do think that this is an era of opportunity. And as a creative ourselves, I think that's kind Yeah, of I think it's dope. I think it's dope. Yeah. Because then it gives you the hope that Netflix is going to be producing more work here. I mean, it just leaves room for Netflix to be producing more work here. Netflix does a number of shows in New York. Um, and it's just kind of like one of those things where it's like, well, maybe you don't have to move to LA to, to be on Netflix. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, and I think I, I think I might have drove like driven by the net, like Netflix studios around mm -hmm. here in West Hollywood. There's like this big building yeah. that has like everything paid to everything yes. Netflix painted on it, and it's just like. Yeah, like, okay, so if they're casting for the show, like, maybe I can be that extra, and maybe I can, like, even for actors, I think that this will be yeah. really fucking dope that we have some studios mm -hmm. in, in the city. And who knows, maybe we could write a fucking show to replace One Day at a Time. Yeah. Better than One Day at a Time. Three More every day. than One Day at a Time. R.I.P. Right? <laughs> you know? What were your thoughts on that show? I thought... That it should continue to live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that uh, no one was doing what that show was doing at the moment. I thought uh, some of it was cheesy and like sitcom-y and, you know, all that stuff. But I think, you know, it was impo an important show and there was nothing on TV like it. And I thought it could evolve and grow and, and be a wonderful beacon of like Latinidad on Netflix. And... Uh, fucking upset that it's gone. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Upset that it's gone. And I mean, it was because of viewership and stuff like that, and then obviously it's like the argument of like, okay, but like... But Netflix got so much money. I was gonna say, you have so much money and also you match can't shows. keep one Latino yeah. show? Like... One? Yeah. You... you All of... Uh, especially when you think of like all the corny shit that Netflix produces. Mm -hmm. So much corny. Um, so yeah. I understand that yeah. point of view. My only thing was like, I was like, damn, I wish they would have brought more of that Afro-Cubano flavor. And claro que sí. Been, mm -hmm. Like, afraid of that. Absolutely. And that we could have seen more black Cubans sure. on the show. But like, I, we sort of had this conversation with Danny, like about, well, do we want just some like mediocre thing out and say like, oh, we have Latino work or do we want somebody to like sort of come in and like take charge? And then there's the argument of, and that could be like, well, you need to start somewhere and like, that's a great platform. Yeah. So anyway, but Netflix will be coming. So we'll see what that looks like. Hopefully there will be a lot of taxes and money that flows in the city. And man, maybe you guys are optimists, man. You're talking about some real optimistic ah, shit. Ah, 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 ah. I, I mean, I hope you're fucking right. Yeah. But history. Yeah. History yeah. is on the side of like, nah. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very curious, though. I don't know because it is very much a film. Mm. Thing. I'm very curious what that's going to mean. I'm glad it's not in the Bronx. Mm. I'm glad it's not in Queens. It's just going to be mm -hmm. more gentrification. It's just going to be like... That's also true. The, the jobs, you know, all the kids coming out of school are going to be like, oh, Netflix is opening. Oh, and they got 25K jobs in right. New York. Oh, I thought Brooklyn was not... No, you know, I thought the Brooklyn hipster thing was dying. I guess it's not. Let's all go there. True. And that's what's going to happen. And I'm... 
being cynical here and that's not usually and you know i'm usually the optimist here and you guys are being very optimistic but i'm <laughs> i'm also from brooklyn where everything fucking goes wrong so i don't know you don't know about that shit i hope man i really hope good things happen to new york. <coughs> i always hope good things happen for new york especially right. brooklyn but you know I went away to school for, for two years, really. And then I worked at the college I, w- I went to for two years. And I came back to Brooklyn. And I was like, what happened? Yeah. What happened? Yeah. Really and I grew up in Park Slope, which is a very white place already. But I grew up on the cusp of, yeah. like, you know, Sunset Park and Park Slope. Where, like, if somebody plants a tree on my corner, the newscasters will show up and be like, welcome to Park Slope where trees are being planted and everything's great. <laughs> but, but literally, you cross the street and somebody gets stabbed and it's like, welcome to Sunset Park where motherfuckers are dying. <laughs> Tune in at midnight because that's when the news happens out here, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. you know. No, that's real. And uh, honestly, leading goes straight into Artuta Loca is, which is talking about gentrification you know, in Brooklyn, in the Bronx, as mm-hmm. it's coming in, in New York in general. And you're right. I think that gentrification is something that has sort of taken over our communities in a way where they're sort of unrecognizable. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear a little bit more. Like, what were some of the things you saw specifically, like places that you loved or like even the, the people in your neighborhood who you appreciated who you maybe were gone by the time mm. you got back? Okay, so boom. One dude... I, and I don't know why he's the first to come to my mind, but there was the hot dog guy on 14th Street and 5th Avenue in Park Slope. Mm-hmm. And uh, old Polish dude, nasty dude. Like, he was... <laughs> I saw him, like, blowing snot rockets and all kinds of oh. shit. I mean, I'm a kid. Like, whatever. I didn't care. You know, he'd feed the pigeons. There were always pigeons around them. But he was always there. And he was always selling his hot dogs. And I was always like, Mommy, I'm a hot dog. <laughs> and she, <laughs> she'd get me my dumb hot dog. And I'd put ketchup and mustard on it. And we'd go into D&D and do the majority of our shopping. You know, whatever little shopping we were doing that day. And uh, I remember that dude. And I remember the feeling of that area. I remember people walking all over Fifth Avenue. And it would be an event. Like, you'd be on Fifth Avenue. And it's like, oh, cool. Let's see who's out there. Let's see the people that we know from the neighborhood out there. And you don't know anybody in the neighborhood anymore. Mm-hmm. You don't know anybody in the buildings anymore. You can't borrow anything from anybody. You know, When I go visit my grandmother in Park Slope in her building that she's been in for 40 years, people are like, oh, can I help you? Like in the mm. in the foyer as I'm waiting for like them to like buzz me in or whatever. They're like, can I help you? What do you, do wow. you need help? And I'm like, Mm-mm. bro, do you need help? Yeah, work. Do you need help being fucked up in this hallway? Because I can help you with that. You don't know. I've been here, boy. Yo. My grandmother lives on the third floor, pa. Yeah. Since before you were born. Yeah. Go shave your hipster beard and come talk to me correct with your actual lips. Because I'm not listening to that fucking greasy I'm just angry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm with it. <laughs> just, you know, I used to like knock on the neighbor's door. Vecina. And I yeah. would just like, yeah, my grandmother needs fucking sugar or whatever, you know? Yeah. And yeah. we would just help each other out. And there's none of that camaraderie. There's none of that like we need each otherness of Brooklyn that made Brooklyn such a beautiful place. I don't, I don't know if like other boroughs, Bronx probably had that same feeling yeah. of like, I could knock on my neighbor's door and like we could ask for help or whatever. You know, this like Brooklyn, BX, like whatever. We're the same fucking people. Yeah. By and mm-hmm. large. Except 
gentrification hit us harder and faster than it did you guys. Mm-hmm. It it wiped us out, man. It really nine eleven didn't help, right? People were already like, ap- ap- you know, uh, apprehensive about staying in New York after nine eleven, mm-hmm. and I feel like uh, for whatever reason, all the Puerto Ricans I knew, they all went to Florida. Yo, mm. They all went to Florida. There was a flight yes. of all the Puerto Ricans to Florida. Well, I haven't read about it. It was just a feeling I had of like, no, no, there was where did all the Puerto Ricans go? to Florida, and that's because, so when people talk about the elections and swing states and yeah. stuff, Florida is meant to be a swing state, yes, because of the Cubanos and their Republican views, mm. pero también a lot of the East Coast, you know, New York... Latinos mm. went down, mainly Puerto Ricans, and that helps change like that swing a bit because mm. they had a bit more democratic views mm. and they weren't necessarily mm-hmm. as Republican mm. as the Cubanos were. So right. that's like a thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So like you know, uh, Puerto Ricans left the city in droves. Puerto Rican neighborhoods started, from what I could tell, disappearing. Um, Dominicans came in. Yeah. Uh, welcome Dominicans. Um, you know, have fun, enjoy. We we were in, you know running shit for a hot minute. Now go ahead, have fun. Enjoy your parade as well. <laughs> um, but it just really felt like, especially my neighborhood and neighborhoods around my neighborhood, I was like, where are the Puerto Ricans going? Like, I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, in Williamsburg, is something sort of like extraordinary in a, in a sad way. I was dating a dude. We dated for three years. Mm-hmm. And in three years, I saw like Williamsburg flip. And so his family is Boricua. Um, and they lived like on South, like from South First Street all the way to South Fourth. There was like Tia's, moms, mm-hmm. abuelas, all lived in that yeah. little conglomerate. And um, I remember one time his grandmother made this joke. He was like, "Oh, you know, um, you usually leave the door unlocked. What happened or something?" And she goes, "Unlocked? I don't know none of these white people who are walking around the right. building." Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this idea that she felt way more comfortable leaving her door open around the people who are perceived to be more dangerous mm-hmm. and more prone to, to criminal Because abuelas know, man. Abuelas mm-hmm. know. Yeah. They have been paying attention. They know that you know all the mass shooters in the country have been white by and large. Mm-hmm. They know that, you know, I mean, do we really have to go through the whole history of like white folks destroying shit? <laughs> but abuelas know. They've been, they've been like watching. They were like, uh-oh. Is, who's that guy? Is that Gregory? Oh, forget it. Lock the doors. Lock, Lock the, the doors. doors. <laughs> Gregory's coming. <laughs> Gregory's coming and he's bringing Jeffrey with him. <laughs> Jeffrey, <laughs> And really, so like what was interesting about that block is like, so Havemeyer was the avenue that they were against. And so on Havemeyer, it That's was near like, Graham. Yeah, that's near that's Graham. Near Graham. Which I always called Graham, and mm. I learned today, guys, it's not Graham, because I've been listening to white hipsters. <laughs> yeah, white hipsters have been calling Graham. Graham. Yeah, for Graham so también is the avenue of Puerto Rico. Mm. And so, recently... Oh, shit, LAPD, I heard you. Damn! Y'all <laughs> So recently, within the last couple of years, they've been uh, real estate agents and people who, who work in that sort of like field have been trying to remove the title of Avenue of Puerto Rico from what? Graham no to make it more desirable uh-uh. to Fuck white out of here. Because no the association way. to Puerto Ricans is detrimental to their ability to sell Stop. that property. Stop. They feel. You know I don't feel that. They feel that. Right. I just had to. I had to drop yeah. it. Yeah, no, 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 no. And I think it's so interesting because 
when you do walk around Williamsburg, and this is what I was going to say about like the avenues versus the little blocks, you will walk down these little blocks and you'll see flags every, like mm-hmm. still Boricua flags hanging everywhere. Now you'll see some Dominican flags because there are some Dominicans that have moved that there, but in the little in-betweens. And then you'll have the block. Then you have the buildings that are next to these new buildings, but those buildings only exist because they're rent controlled mm-hmm. and they have all this shit. So like, it's like, it's like old school, new school, old school, new school, everywhere you go. But the main avenues are gone, man. Mm-hmm. Like Bedford and all that shit they have all the bougie restaurants all the coffee shops all these like like stores where people that like will buy clothes and shit but it's not even a brand and you're like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? this looks like a little like boutique shops yeah. mm-hmm. um, and it's really interesting even the supermarket experience like when we would go into the supermarket and it'd be like we'd be in the aisle with the sessions and stuff then you'd be see, see white people struggling to find mm-hmm. what they wanted to buy because these were the hipsters that didn't live in the fancy fancy buildings yet right. and they lived in like mm-hmm. the little hot like two-story houses and they lived downstairs and shit but by the by year three when i was with this dude i'd walk in there and i can buy quinoa like nobody's business right mm. and it's so interesting just seeing this sort of like intricacies of the way that the gentrification manifested itself but really too like it it felt like williamsburg started to feel like a tourist spot so mm. it, was, it started to happen then it's like the people who lived in the neighborhood were kind of like what is this a fucking circus like what's going on and we see this in harlem i mean in harlem mm-hmm. there's little literal red buses that drive around and show people like oh this is harlem and it's to show them the apollo but they're passing by all these methadone clinics they're passing by all these projects and it really irritates me to see like people just taking pictures and like being on this dandy bus and i'm like wow all the money that people are making off bringing you here and no money being put into the people who really needed it mm-hmm. yeah that's fucking sucks and then mm-hmm. in the Bronx too we've seen yeah that. we definitely see it you see the little shops popping up everywhere um in the Port Morris area now you have like cute little bars happening like Port Morris Distillery and you know the Bronx Brewery has been there for a minute but like the right. Bronx Brewery is like a really hip place you have like Beatstro which is like the hip hop themed um, restaurant that has come up and like all these new coffee shops but literally like and we were talking about this the other day our friend um Derek made a joke DJ from New York Doe shout out to you guys um where he was like I can no longer come to the Bronx and he sent us like a post from um News 12 that was announcing like this fatal stabbing that happened right in Mott Haven and and it's like it literally like in front of it Oh no no no! Like like a yeah, couple of blocks, blocks away, yeah. but the block that 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 happened on, literally, if you go there, there are like four new condos like in construction mm-hmm. at the same time, mm-hmm. like and there's just these new buildings popping up everywhere, and at first it was only happening in Mount Haven, but like if you go towards where you know where Julissa lives, where there's not going to be like a new Metro North stop, there's new apartments and buildings popping up there if you go to the south bronx where i work which is a couple of stops away new buildings popping up there Mm -hmm. and you're talking about like hood neighborhoods i personally just moved into a new apartment which when i tell people where i live they're like oh you're in the hood you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and so like for me i'm like oh am i a gentrifier but then i'm like no i've been here i've been here in the bronx i make i i work at a job that i can actually afford Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, to live there, and also I wouldn't have had the job. I wouldn't have had the apartment if it were gentrifiers. I got it because my mom's coworkers' parents didn't want to sell it to someone that they didn't know. Mm-hmm. So then they gave it to me and my brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even still, like where I'm living now, like you see it. The supermarket. 
from the outside looks janky, but then when you go inside, it's lit. Yeah. You know, bodegas are starting to flip. Mm-hmm. Their food, their food areas are becoming cleaner. Yeah. It's little things. The gates are being painted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the fire escapes are being redone. Yeah. Now everybody has those number things that you could call up. Yeah. So it's 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 definitely evident. It's present. <laughs> I'm just laughing because I didn't even think of that. We're used to like the doorbell downstairs always being broken. Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> or even something as simple as the entrance has like a new awning with a number yeah. on it. Yeah. Like, Tírame la llave. Yeah. No, and it's so funny because I, so I, I live in Park Street, but I live by East Tremont. So it, on East Tremont, like it's it's the path where you then go into like fancy, bro- like bougie Bronx, which is existed. That's not a gentrification mm-hmm. thing. But it's really interesting to like sort of take that ride and journey and that where it starts to clean up now exists a lot earlier than it did before. I also think that's what's different about the Bronx is that because we've had the luxury of seeing the different waves hit, we now know, so like a lot of these businesses that Juan's naming are owned by black or Latino people, which is wonderful. A lot of the struggle that's going on though right now is that the community is flipped on its back and it's like, okay, but who is putting the money into your businesses of color? Mm-hmm. Because those investors are the same people who are building these buildings who, that are causing the problem. They're having a real hard time filling those condo, condo buildings in the Bronx because New York as a whole has not changed this perception of the Bronx and, mm. the, and, and New York as a whole doesn't know that that's something's going on. We know because we're there, so we're seeing it with our own two eyes, mm-hmm. but not all of the shops are open and there's still some shops that you see that they're like, you know, op- like con- doing construction inside and all that stuff. But once all that, that whole strip is done, we're happen. fucked. We're fucked because now there's enough things. So now mm-hmm. it's like, oh, one or two. But when it's like five, ten, like a bunch of it, mm-hmm. it's fucked. There's a lot of white people who aren't getting off in Harlem anymore. Like, that's yeah. just the truth. Yeah, they're, they're, they're <laughs> staying on longer. Yeah. And, like, when you think about, like, how... So, like, with Williamsburg, it was the case of it being a very Puerto Rican neighborhood that flipped. But, like, with the Port Morris area that's happening, that it's happening in first, there wasn't shit there. Like, you're not talking about just, like, it maybe being a Puerto Rican neighborhood. You're talking about, like, it being, like, super problematic, like, super dangerous projects and then literally nothing. <laughs> like like empty factories. Lots. like factories yeah. and shit yeah yeah it's where fresh direct is like, so mm-hmm. like fedex has a big hub there ups yeah. has so they did that with a huge part of uh brooklyn um like third uh, second avenue and like the in the 30s mm-hmm. like um you know south brooklyn is what they call it um but it's sort of that space between park slope and sunset park they have um man in in, this, in the industry city Mm. Or something like that. They have like a a bunch of buildings that really were just like abandoned warehouses that like me and, you know me and my friends we used to like run up in there and do graffiti and shit. Wow. Um, abandoned, just like either homeless people were living there or there was nothing or whatever, and they took all that and it's now like a hipster haven. <laughs> Industry City, I think, is what it's called. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I'm not um I'm not looking forward to it, but like you said, if we could have their restaurants and shops and shit and just not have them there, mm-hmm. that would be great. Um, and it really begs the question, like, have we not brought these types of um, businesses into these areas because we assumed that the people there wouldn't actually appreciate it? Or is it that 
the goal is to bring people in. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. is it because we don't think this is special, so we're not going to open there? Or is it like, a, mm, we want to change this shit up, so let's open this because they'll come. Because I feel like that's also part of it now. It's like you see something, you're like, oh, fuck, gentrification. Like, you already mm-hmm. know. Even, like, getting a new, a, a cleaner uh, or remodeled fast food restaurant. So, like, mm-hmm. when the McDonald's gets the new When remodeled, the McDonald's gets flipped. Shit, and it starts to look like the new Manhattan ones, you're like, uh-huh. Oh. Oh, <laughs> that's in my neighborhood. It's like in the neighborhood that I live in right now. I told you about the supermarket and the bodega, but like right under the train station, it's like all these round the way shops. You know, you see your Kennedys, your Chinos, your Cuchifrito, oh, all this man. stuff, and then Kennedy's you see like this. Chicken. Like, you miss that shit? Yo, I miss me a Kennedy. <laughs> Yo, you know what? I really miss having lived out here for a hot minute just Chinese food. It's not the same. Yo. Out here, right? It's not the same. It's not good out here. They got. I don't, I'm not gonna say it's not good. <laughs> what I am gonna say is that it's different. Yeah. It's and different. I can't get a chicken and broccoli. That chicken and broccoli combination. Like regular chicken and broccoli from Brooklyn, like or anywhere in New York. You, anywhere in New York, you get the same chicken and broccoli. Out here, it's yeah. like, yo, why is this watery, B? Ew! Why is it watery? Because I'm always down for chinos, but it's just different here. It's not bad. <laughs> it's just different. And what I want is what I want. I found I've so far found one pizzeria that has Brooklyn style pizza. That's that's sort of okay. That's nah. close. I've had pizza here in LA, and I'm sorry to Los Angelinos. I had pizza here that I spit out. Wow. Oh. Have you ever in your life taken a bite out of a slice of pizza and been like, even dollar no, pizza even pizza dollar pizza. pizza, I would die for dollar pizza. <laughs> Oh man! For the shit I ate out here, Damn. Damn. my lady and I, we ordered it one night. We were like, "Oh, this has good reviews," and it was just like, "Botalo, botalo, throw it out. I don't want this." Oh no! I never have. Remember last night? I was like, we were trying to order, and I was like, "Not, nah, I don't know if I trust pizza." Yo, yeah. There's two spots. There's Joe's Pizza, which is on Sunset Boulevard. Okay. In West Hollywood. Which is like the chain. Which is like, yeah, because there's a Joe's pizza pizza in New York. Mm -hmm. And so, what I think is. Same on and more? Same on too. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And then there's also uh, Two Boots Pizza, which has like. Two Boots. Which is decent. They have New York Two Boots and they have Two Boots here. And those two places have been as close to like New York style and Mm. decent pizza that I've had. Damn, that sucks. They've got a lot of other really good restaurants here. But not the stuff that I grew up with in New York that I just want. Yeah, you know? just yeah. I, I feel like everything here is like artisanal and and vegan. Vegan, yeah. Yeah, there's a big push for like healthy stuff here. We we literally and in, in this week of shooting, um, because you know we always offer mimosas and shit like that. Yeah. But like, you're the first guest that we've had all week that Uh-oh. drinks. Oh, that drinks with you. No, and Joe, and Joe, and Joe, and Joe, and the second one, the second, the second guest. Wait a minute, you guys are giving out free champagne and motherfuckers aren't drinking. (laughs) Yo, (laughs) fuck out of here. (laughs) I got shit to do tomorrow and I'm still drinking with y'all. You give me free champagne. (laughs) (laughs) But as a whole, overall, when we look at gentrification and we know it's inevitable, so how do you think, Andrew, that you can still? live in the Brooklyn, like assuming you would go back and live in Brooklyn, how could you still hold on to the Brooklyn that you know and love given all the changes that have happened? Fuck. Um, you just go east. <laughs> the further away <coughs> from Manhattan you get, the more Brooklyn is still Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm, I'm, man, I, was a, I lived in Bushwick right before I came out here um, two years ago. 
And um, I still felt in pockets of Bushwick that I could get stabbed at any point. And that's, that's a good, good. indicator <laughs> of, that's really good. Yeah. of Brooklyn, right? I need to live in a place where I got, I, it keeps my New York senses sharp, Yeah. right? I live in an area now that I'm like, I don't look over my shoulder as much I as I did. I was literally just about to ask you if you look over I don't look shoulder. over my shoulder yeah. as much as I did in Brooklyn. Because uh, in Brooklyn, you need to. Right. And in New York, that's mandatory. Yeah, it's just like a... It's just like a you know, yeah. like for the, <laughs> yeah. for the first time in a long time, just the other night, I'm with my lady. We went somewhere. Um, I took the box cutter out of my car and brought it with me into the place we were going into. In New York, I just always had the box cutter. On you. Yeah. Always. Yeah. And so... I just, you know, uh, so it was Bushwick that I lived in, and then um, I worked in Cypress Hills, mm. which mm-hmm. is, um, you know, once once there's a New York Times article about is Cypress Hills the next Bushwick, Cypress Hills is already fucked. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So and that article came out already. So mm. Cypress Hills right now is like you know as Brooklyn, Cypress Hills and and, and East right like East New York. Mm-hmm. Um, however far east you can go before you end up in fucking Long Island. Um, that's still Brooklyn. That's still about as Brooklyn as you can get. Um, yeah. And that may be the way it is for the next maybe five, ten years before, like, you know, people come in and do what they did to Bushwick and what they're doing, you know, what they've been done to Williamsburg. Like, it's all just going to happen. Yeah. All of Brooklyn is going to get, it's like, you know, some sort of hipster cancer. Yeah. And no. it's just spreading and it's going to take over. Yeah, for sure. Fuck. Sorry. No. <laughs> All good. All right. Um, and now we're moving into our main topic. We're going to talk a bit about casting for Latino men. So we often hear a lot. I have a lot of conversations around Afro-Latinidad and casting people of color in these roles. Um, but I do feel like for, for some reason, we don't really have a conversation around what casting is like for Latino men, especially in a climate where a president is calling people bad hombres and like mm. really trying to drive home uh, this image of Latin men, which we know, like obviously we know we have a plethora of people. We come in all shapes, sizes, colors, sound, mm-hmm. like believe different shit. But when you look at industries like Hollywood, like there's still a way in which we get sort of just like grouped together and it is like this is the Latino which in some cases can create a difficult time for Latinos to get cast especially if they're looking for just like that specific ass Latino Mm -hmm. man that is serving the specific stereotype of what they imagine so I'd love to hear from you Andrew like you know once you got back into the swing of things with acting and you were auditioning for stuff what was that experience like so I love to tell people that I am uh, in the worlds that I have been in I am too school for my street friends and too street for my school friends Mm. so I have always existed sort of in this middle space of like you know my educated mind says of course people should be you know considered on their individual merits and be cast in their individual things and you know uh, if we're looking for a specific type of person we should work until we find that person and then there's that my hood mentality, which means, which thinks I'll take anybody's fucking job. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, like this um, Scarlett Johansson being cast as like an Asian person. That's awful, right? Because Scarlett Johansson can get any job in any movie she wants. Right. Um, and I think Scarlett Johansson is a great actress and all that stuff. Um, 
But my like hood mentality, if I was Scarlett Johansson, I'd be like, fuck y'all, give me that money. Right? <laughs> because like one, I haven't gotten on yet, right? So I don't have the flexibility or the uh, the mindset to be like, you know what? Don't cast me in that film. Don't cast me in that TV show. Find the right person. Yeah. Um, I'm hungry. And I'll take anybody's fucking job right now. Mm-hmm. I'll fucking cut somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you know, uh, I, I'm a performer at the UCB, which is great. I'm in a mod team there, and I perform once a month, and that's awesome. That's been a very recent development, something that I've worked really hard for. I've been taking classes at the UCB since 2011. You know, the week I was supposed to graduate, I came to New York from Boston to take my first class and went back. Like, I've been... I've been out here doing comedy for a hot minute now. Fuck and it up. So, you know, and and I've been fortunate to be aware in a way that a lot of people maybe aren't about like what's going on in comedy because I've been paying attention and it's a thing I've been wanting for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, when I do get on, and I hope that I do get on, and, and I get into a position where I can be like, you know what, don't cast me in this. Cast the right person, whatever, and I'll you know I'll advocate for them and all that stuff. But I, Papa's, Papa's got to eat, you know what I'm saying? And so I believe that people should be cast for the things that they should be cast for. But I also like will cut a throat. Yeah. And do you find, though, that like what roles are out there for you? Like if you're getting cast as yourself, what do you have? Family. When you find them, tell me. (laughs) So I worked at Me Too uh, for like a year and a half um, making digital content for the Internet and, and comedy videos after, you know, about a year of freelancing at Flama, all while I had a full time job working with kids. Uh, you know, college-age kids. And, um, you know, Mitu went through a big reorg. A lot of us got laid off. And that was just last July. Mm-hmm. And that's when I dedicated myself full-time to, like, finding acting stuff. So um, I got fortunate enough to get into the National Hispanic Media Coalition's Latino Scene Showcase through an audition. They were looking for Latinos. I'm a Latino. I hit them up on the last day that they were, like you know, booking people for this audition. I was like, hey, I just found out about this. Please let me audition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got an audition and I fucking went in and, you know, I nailed it and I got to do the, sh- the showcase. At the showcase, I found my managers. And so I've had managers since October, November. Mm-hmm. And they've been sending me out on as many auditions as they can. I have, I think, a very specific type, which I think when someone figures out that they want a short Puerto Rican mustachioed goofball, you know, Puerto Rican Jack Black type dude. Yeah. Man, will they have found a gold mine in me. <laughs> <laughs> but no one's looking for that mm-hmm. at the moment, you know? I think the, you know, uh I don't know anybody, you know, who's trying to tell stories about folks like me. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. really know. I've gone out on auditions a lot here in LA for Mexican roles. Yeah. Um, there's mad fucking Mexicans here. I don't know why they would hire me. Right. Mm. I don't really look Mexican and I don't really speak uh, Mexican Spanish. They want yeah. this very specific sort of Mexican accent. And every time I put it on or try to put it on, I feel like this doesn't feel good. Mm. This feels like I'm doing a caricature of a Mexican person, and that doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so I don't know. I don't know who's telling Puerto Rican stories. I don't know who's telling stories that I could really, you know, fit into. Which is why I write my own stories. Yeah. Um, and I've written um, several things on my own that you know I'm trying to. Uh, I, I submitted a script called Prospect Avenue, which is where I grew up mm-hmm. uh, uh, in New York City, um, in Brooklyn. Uh, it's a um, 
right now it's a, uh, a web series mm -hmm. that's also you know essentially my pilot uh, to the macro episodic lab nice. uh, and I got to the semi-finalist group there but you know it didn't really make it to the end and that was a great competition because you get like 30k to nice. like make your project happen nice. and so close but no cigar so mm. I'll keep you know I'll keep writing I'll keep submitting I'll keep making my you know making my own stuff I'll keep performing as much as I can I'll do my stand-up as much as I can and tell my stories as much as I can but you know I don't know that anybody's out there really looking for a dude like me gotcha. and I have to make myself bigger and more uh, um, uh, pliable to other roles you know mm -hmm. um, so I'm just out here going to as many auditions as I can and doing as many like comedy things as I can because comedy is a comedy can I think uh, overcome some of those labels if you're funny people don't always really care what your background is mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. unless they're trying to tell like a Puerto Rican story and they're looking for a funny Puerto Rican whatever but if you're funny and you got good timing a lot of other things can be overlooked I think mm -hmm. because not everybody can do comedy well mm -hmm. there's a lot of funny people it's like dancing right like you could have rhythm but if you can also choreograph and like do the thing you know what I mean yeah. I think by having studied all the different types of comedy that I have and trying them all out and being I think decent at all of them I think that makes me a Swiss army knife of you know uh, comedic abilities and I think you know that uh, hopefully to anybody who's listening um, hear that stuff and uh, book me on shit please yeah yeah no for sure <laughs> if there was a role though that you could play that maybe you wouldn't be cast in naturally what, what I'd have role? to write it yeah no I mean like one that you were being miscast in like what oh. role would you want to play like if you could if I was being miscast in a role yeah. which mm -hmm. role like fucking anything Arnold Schwarzenegger or Bruce Willis yeah like action I would be <laughs> super I'd be the action star of a big ass I'd be the rock yeah because mm. I and it's fucked up because I see myself that way that way yeah. mm -hmm. and I don't realize how like I'm five foot one inches tall I don't realize how short I am until I'm standing next to like someone like uh, Blake Griffin mm. I did a video series with Blake Griffin nice. for this company called Winview and we played opposite of each other and he was really funny and I had no idea how great he was at improv and we giant. had a really good time. But he's a fucking giant. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think, I don't, and I just, I don't know how it, I don't know, I, I would imagine that people would be like, how do you forget you're short? But I do. I, because I think my heart is big and I forget that I'm like down here. But then I have to talk to Blake Griffin and the only thing I can see of his face are his nose hairs because I'm looking straight up into his fucking skull. Because <laughs> there's no way to talk to that man unless you're across the room to look him in the eyes. He's just so goddamn tall. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I'd yeah. be the action star of a fucking action movie. I'd be Tom Cruise. Yeah. I'd mm. be, you know, uh, all those dudes. I, you know, I'd be, you know, Chadwick Boseman. I'd be like... <laughs> I'd be Michael B. Jordan's abs. I would just be... <laughs> One. Yeah, right? <laughs> just one ab. One of his abs. That's hilarious. And so, do, like, so it sounds like then, because, like, I'm in the world of playwriting, and, like, I dabble in screenwriting here and there, but it's not something that I can claim I'm, like, out here doing all the time. So I, like, sort of seeing the, the movement around, like, Me Too and Pero Like and all that shit has given me maybe some hope that is false, that in Hollywood and in L.A. in general, we, there are more roles and opportunities that are opening up for Latino men outside of playing 
the typical criminal or like I feel like now there's like a token like Latino boy who's like being raised by a woman and he's trying really hard to be good mm. and shit like that. I feel like there's these stereotypes. Mm. What's that show on my block? Is that that Netflix yes. show? Like you know what I mean? Like and, and even with that show, it's like okay, they're trying to capture the reality of people who are growing up in the hoods in LA and mm-hmm. right. Like I think that story is important. But even the way like some of the Latino men there are portrayed feels slightly stereotypical mm-hmm. for me and so i'm out here i'm like are do we have more latinos in these writing rooms like what the fuck is going on out mm-hmm. here yo i'm an optimist too man there's no way you come out of the background that i've explained all evening to y'all today yeah uh, without being an optimist yeah. and even i'm still like i don't know word mm. word i don't word. know well, you know, I do wish you the best of luck. Oh, and thank you. Listen, we are out here, us writers. Like, I write a lot of Dominican shit. Whippa. My newest play is about a Dominican hair salon. At the nice. Park. You know what I mean? So we're really out here working. Again, bringing up Matt again. Matt is writing work for people like you. Yeah. Um, so we're out here. I think that a lot of us, though, because we're East Coast, mm. and a lot of us, people who are making that hard work, which is what I like to call it, mm-hmm. uh, are playwrights. And but we're in this new age where playwrights are starting to get a lot of work in LA. Like people, I mean, that was yeah. Playwrights are the original screenwriters. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you know, back when uh, you know the TV was first you know became a thing, they went to playwrights and people who worked in radio to create stories for television. Out of that, you know, golden era came screenwriter. Screenwriters, and then somehow somewhere in between, screenwriting became its own thing, and then you got people yeah. who got in and were just able to write really shitty yeah. things and get it produced as long as they knew somebody with money. Yeah. Um, then of course came the age of like, uh, you know, the first uh, college-educated filmmakers, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg and Francis Ford Coppola, and that sort of uh, those groups of people who went and got that first education in film yeah. and came out and had no obstacles really or other people to fight because they were like the first ones educated in this thing that nobody really knew how to do. Well, we'll see, but I'm man, because mm-hmm. I tell you what, if it, I have anything to do with it, this can't stay that way. I mean... <laughs> if I have anything to do with it, which Lord knows, as of now, I don't. Yeah. But All right, so now we're going to wrap up with our Dame Luz section. Are you going to give us a little light on something now? I know I'm a hopeless romantic, mm. and my childhood was spent writing songs for boys that I'm glad I don't even know where to find them. Mm. <laughs> writing poetry. To Lisa, the songwriter. I used to play with when I used to play with my Barbies. I used to like act out these scenarios that I wish would happen, like with the boys that I like. And I had a balcony, so I would literally be on my balcony, like, and one day we'll be together forever. <laughs> So, and I've, and I never lost that. And I would always tell boys that I liked them first mm. and they would always be my friend. One time a guy was like, I see you like an aunt and I will never forget that. And like, wow. that dude. My Punch heart. that dude. Wow. I had a, I, my first weekend boyfriend, which wasn't real was, he was like a bad boy and he was new to the school mm-hmm. and he complimented Nikes. It was the first pair of like cool Nikes my mom had ever bought me. Nice. And he complimented me. He was like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. And I was like, yeah, he's like, oh, you're actually kind of pretty. And I was like, am I really? Yeah. And then he was like, oh, you want to be my girlfriend? And I was like in awe. And I was like, oh my God. That's a yes. fast conversation. His name Christopher Poole. Yes. Christopher, Christopher Poole. Poole. Christopher Poole moved. <laughs> yeah. He moved on you fast. He was like, oh, dope sneakers. You pretty girlfriend? All in one breath, that dude. But wait, we, we, 
broke up with me two days later. Like, um, <laughs> how old were you? I was. How old was I in the sixth grade? Come on, that's Whatever a real sixth relationship. Grade. Sixth grade is like. 14, 15. No. no it's 12. 15, I was oh, wait. I'm lying. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 14, 15. I'm a fucking teacher and I don't even know this. Isn't that bad? It's been like 11, 12 or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like 11 and 12. Two days in the sixth grade? That's yeah. a lifetime. Bro. But the whole two days, I was trying to get his attention. He wasn't paying me any mind. And I was telling people he was my boyfriend. And then he came up to me and was like, yeah, nah. And I was like, oh. Like, he, was like, he was like, yeah, but you, you dress too corny. And because I didn't dress nice, he broke up with me. Wow. So I went home and my sister had like passed this test. So she was like listening to music. She was all happy. And she was like, and I was like, I broke up with the boy. I'm sad. And so I think we listened to either Pink Misunderstood or some mm. shit. But I made her play sad music. Damn. And it was tragic. And it broke my heart. But it was one of several heartbreaks that I've had in my hopeless romantic mm. journey. Bueno. So I'm curious. Que bueno. <laughs> so no, and, it's, it's all, there's, all, there's beauty in the end in, of all those. The, all, the, all those. So let's hear a little bit about what is your view on being a hopeless romantic uh i think uh i i couldn't i don't know i think it's just innate for me i couldn't see it any other way i've been i've been in love since forever like you know kindergarten i fell in love with this girl who had a twin sister and then yeah and then i fell in love with the twin sister i was gonna say did you fall in love with <laughs> well they were they were they were um fraternal twins and uh you know i fell in love with one in kindergarten and then in first grade i fell in love with her sister because she left and i was like okay we can't be together if we're not in the same class right because i that's how i understood it right mm-hmm. and then i proceeded to fall in love every year with a different person forever i don't know i think the first time i told a, a girl that i loved her i was in uh i was in the sixth grade it's the end of sixth grade and i think i was like 12 and we wrote each other some letters there was a lot of like oh yeah i totally am in love with you and she was like oh yeah she was a little older than me mm-hmm. and um that ended after like you know like a month um yeah i, I was constantly just like yeah. girl crazy you know junior high school we had oh here's a big problem we had um <laughs> in junior high school i'm at 51 we had lunch all of the students in the school had lunch at the same period mm. and we were allowed to listen to idea. this listen yeah to this. we were allowed to leave the school in middle school in middle school in for, brooklyn for an entire hour wow that school has mad white it's because the white kids here here's yes there were some white kids but there was also some not white kids and there was also some wild ass shit happening yeah you know like my first uh my first year at the school the seventh and eighth graders got uh, lost their lunch privilege because there was this massive fight that broke out and the the principal at the time mr schlar got his wig pulled off and trying trying to to break up the fight he came to break up the fight he got his wig pulled off and Damn. it was wild. And he, the whole Ugh. seventh and eighth grade had to stay indoors. Damn. Somebody the same day, somebody got stabbed. Oh, it was wow. wild. Yeah, nah. it was wild. Yeah. <laughs> we also had like up the up the block. There was um uh, John Jay High School, which had a lot of bad kids in it too. Actually, oh man, this is dark. Uh, the dude who shot my brother was a student at John Jay nah. when I was a student at MS Fifty One. Nah. And I knew him. And he had actually held my my son, uh, my brother's my brother's son, uh, like a couple weeks before he shot him. That's some dark shit. Wow. wow. They were friends. Yeah. Wow. Friends. That's some real. That's real dark shit. shit. Anyway, back to being a lover. Um. <laughs> so so that whole hour that we got in school every day, 
we all just spent it making out. Yeah. <laughs> we were all just making out. We found like stoops across the street. We walk up a block, cross over. We had like make out clubs. That's incredible. Where like we'd like switch around. <laughs> it oh, was man. it was bananas. It's a lot of mono probably. Oh, I never got Ooh. sick. I don't know. I never got sick. We we did we did freaky shit too. Ooh. One time somebody brought like a bottle of strawberry syrup. You know, like the Nesquik strawberry. Yeah. Uh. We, we would just by the time we went back after lunch, we were all sticky. Ew. <laughs> we were sticky, bro. We were licking necks. It was like, oh, oh, man. We were kids and we was getting it in. Oh man. oh, man. Yeah, man. Um, So So now as an adult, how how does that romance manifest itself? Hmm. I think I've, I've been, I think in the last like... Uh, 10 15 years i've been in like three serious relationships mm. and they've all taught me something and i've grown from each of them and i think i'm finally in a place where um through lots of variables right through like i i'm in therapy and mm-hmm. i've been in therapy i don't know in some form or another for the last like i don't know since i've been eight, since i was 18 you know mm-hmm. um i sought therapy then and, and found some help but it wasn't really what i needed and i've been with my therapist now for like six seven years mm. and um through that i've learned a lot about like patience and communication and understanding and talking about my feelings with the people who i have feelings about right um negative or positive and so i think i bring a lot of that to my current relationship and it's the healthiest thing i've ever been in um and but i've also been in like really unhealthy relationships where uh, we used guilt mm-hmm. on one another we used uh, uh, uh you know um we were uh, using each other's sort of um uh, you know if, if either person stepped out of the relationship or did anything you know we we held on to that and used that against one another for a really long time in yeah. one of my previous relationships in a, in a relationship before that um I was uh, I was in uh, a place where uh, my partner wasn't ready to um, be on the same page with me. I was like, mm. I was I was gunning for success. I was about to go away to college, and I was really considering all that stuff. And she was in a place where she was like, you know, in a sorority and mm. really enjoying that. And mm-hmm. like we were just in two different places. I wasn't about like being you know in Greek like or, or anything yeah. like that, mm-hmm. and so and she needed to live that life. She needed to be there and do that, and that was where she was, and that was beautiful, and that she should have been there. Uh, but I wasn't there, and I right. needed to move on and do another thing. So in every sort of relationship, you learn something, and you got to be open to it, and you got to get fucking heartbroken. You got to mm. just fucking be in the depths of your despair. I've I've you know I've been in a, I've been in really dark emotional places through breakups and shit. Yeah. Um crying on the floor, super dramatic, you know. Um just you know drinking I've drinking. been in those places. Yes. You know, getting real familiar with the with yeah. the bottom of a bottle. Um you know, I used to fucking wake up in my grandma's crib. I and I I moved out of my grandma's crib when I was 19. Mm. And I used to just like after some of these breakups, get smashed drunk and just wake up naked on her sofa, and just be like, I don't know how I got here. And she'd be like, Nene, qué te pasa? Mm. But we need to talk about this. Mm. And she would like, you know, tell me, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. You know, because sometimes you know you 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 don't think there is, and right. there is, and you gotta fucking get back on the horse. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I'm in a really loving relationship right now with someone who like I communicate with openly about everything, and um, you know, we support each other professionally and emotionally and you know, romantically, and yeah, 
It's a really good. It's a really good thing when you when you get through all the really hard shit and you find someone that you're like, oh fuck, this is what I've been going through all these hardships yeah. to finally get to. And yeah. she's just the best person. It makes it all worth it, kind of Absolutely. in a way, because it's kind of like you go through so much horrible shit. You really do believe after a certain point, like either I'm gonna die alone or no one, or I'm incapable of being loved. Um, mm. And so when somebody proves the opposite, and I think you're right, all that work you do mm-hmm. for yourself. We talked about this in one of our other episodes. It's like your self love is really important and mm-hmm. informative to how you're able to love other people yeah. mm-hmm. um, and creating emotional contracts and having that communication. Oh yeah. Emotional but like contracts. sometimes yo, like especially like myself, I'm still single. Like mm-hmm. sometimes people just like grab you and like, mm-hmm. you're just fascinated by them. And, True. Like it's so exciting. And in this new Tinder age though, that mm-hmm. sort of hopeless romantic mentality doesn't necessarily pan out. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. Way it used to. It's really Tinder never hard. worked for me. Tinder yeah, sucks. I I feel like the, the you guys bringing up like social media and like the the dating age. I think like as a gay man, um, that hookup culture that is already there for for the gay community just went from zero to one hundred when dating apps mm. came into play, and so that's why like when you say like admitting to being a hopeless romantic for me, I guess I'm like. I don't know if I'm a hopeless romantic or if I'm just jaded by like hookup culture. Mm. Um, but like, it's not something that I've ever been too focused on, mm. you know? And with that, like I said, you know, hookups are a lot more frequent mm-hmm. and stuff like that. That's and fascinating then, to me. Yeah. And I've always like been more focused on like, trying to make dreams come true and like mm-hmm. follow my passions mm-hmm. that I've always told myself and maybe this is an excuse of like not having relationships or anything but like I've always told myself well I'm too focused for that like mm-hmm. I don't have the time to focus on someone else if I'm focusing on mm-hmm. what I want to do you know um so I don't know mm-hmm. I, I think though when you you know the hopeless romantic in me wants to like reach out and let you know that when you finally meet the right person, whoever that person is, they'll understand mm-hmm. all the things you're talking about. You know, my my girlfriend wants her career to do just as well, you know, as as she wants my career and and vice versa. You mm-hmm. know, we both want for one another to succeed yeah. in all the things, and we uh, we're supportive of that. Um, and I think, you know, when you finally find the right person, they'll they'll get what it is that you are, are working toward and uh, and be like, oh, fuck, I'll never get in your way because I care about you a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'll still be here and I'll understand that sometimes, like, we can't, like, hang out all the time or whatever. You got to do shit. Yeah. Like, you know, I live with my lady. It's, like, you know, almost 10 p.m. and, and I'm here doing this <laughs> with you guys. Sorry. No, and, and I want to be here doing this with you guys. And this is dope and I'm having a great time. Um, and my girlfriend's at home, like, I understand you're out doing yeah. work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is work for me. Like, yeah. but it's all, you know, it doesn't feel like work cause like, it's also it's fun. fun. <laughs> I'm glad you're having fun. I'm having yes. It's yes. been fun. Yeah, it's yeah. been really fun. And I do think so Skittles, I, I will second what he said. <laughs> you cannot let this get you jaded. Being in love is such a fun thing. And for every time that you fall in love and then your heart gets really fucking broken, the next time you fall in love again, makes it feel worth it. Over and over again. I do every single heartbreak over again. Yeah. Every single one of them. I would just do it. Yeah. You know, I, I also have you know this opinion that like every bad thing that's ever happened to me is good in that 
there's another side of it. You yeah. get over the dark side of it and then you learn from it. Yeah. And if you have that approach, every bad thing can be an opportunity to learn. A hundred percent. Yeah. All right. Well, with those words of wisdom. Yes, you have been you have been dropping some, some gems, gems out here. Yes. Um Andrew, thank you so much for being on today. Um, really quickly, any shout-outs you have or where can we find you on social media? Oh, yeah. Um, Shout-out to all of Brooklyn, all of New York City. Um, yes. You guys, all of my yes. uh, Latino homies who are doing the good work. Kat Lazo, Jenny Lorenzo. Kat, Lazo, Jenny. Lorenzo, Jenny. Yeah. Mimi Davila, fucking yes. Juan Bago, Rachel Lavella, Juan Bago. All of um, Room 28. Um, I love yes. Shout out to Elmo Di Foca. Oh. I love Elmo. <laughs> I, I call him Tio. I'm like, oh, it's Sion Tio, Sion Tio. <laughs> uh, um, just the block, all of, you know, uh, whoever is left of the block in Park Slope. Where? <laughs> whatever <laughs> remains of the block. <laughs> um, shout out to my abuelita who was an orphan and raised all of us on yes. blood, sweat, and tears. And uh, who I think about every single day. And she's the reason I do what I do. Amen. Yes. Um, if people want to find me, they can go to at Andrew Santiago, the number one, at Andrew Santiago one, on every social media platform. So it's the same handle on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I also have a Facebook page, Andrew Santiago Comedy. Um, and my website is andrewsantiago.com, which I was hawking for like 10 years, waiting for the lease on that uh, URL to. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I paid a lot of money for it. Wow. Congrats. And thank you. Yeah. Before there was a dude, I think his name is Philip Andrew Santiago. Maybe if it's the same dude, I don't know who's a dancer mm. in New York. And there was just a, a, a photo of like a beautiful, ripped, black dancer <laughs> in like shirtless with like, you know, the leotard, like Al- Alvin Ailey style. Yeah. Mm. There was just one photo of that person. And that was the only thing that would show up when you went to andrewsantiago.com. <laughs> and then eventually that photo disappeared and it was just a purple background. And for years I was just like, man, I hope the lease on this, you know, URL, this domain goes up so I can buy it. And I fucking did. Amazing. And it's Amen. mine. AndrewSantiago.com at AndrewSantiago1. I do stuff for LATV, so check them out as well. I do stuff for MeToo as well, so check out We Are MeToo. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can catch me every single first Wednesday of the month at UCB Sunset at 8.30 p.m. My nice. team is called Moon Goon, and uh, we're just goofballs having fun on stage for y'all. Amazing. Yes. Thank you so much. And you can find us at Ladies Who Bronche on Instagram and Facebook, Ladies Bronche on Twitter, and we're all on the podcast platforms. Thanks so much for tuning in. And until next time, Bronche. <laughs>